Lift your hands and let's worship the Lord together, shall we? Worship Him. Hallelujah. He's been so good to us. Let's praise Him tonight. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, God, how do we say thank you? All of your blessings you've bestowed upon us these days. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You're great and greatly to be praised. Praise God, praise God. Give the Lord another hand clap tonight. He is deserving. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Well, hasn't this been great? We've just been having a wonderful time here the last two or three days. God's been so gracious to us. And I am so thankful to be able to be here and be a part of this. That's trip number one. We're going to be like Elijah's sacrifice tonight. We're going to bring four barrels three times. I hope not, but um, some windmills run on water, but I, I don't drink very much of it. But I might be thankful for it before I'm done tonight. But uh, I have just been so grateful just to be in this atmosphere these days and to be able to enjoy this. How many folks missed something by not being here, and I'm just glad I was here. Amen. I want to thank Brother Bass tonight for the invitation to come. And to be a part of this meeting, I appreciate the hospitality that we've enjoyed, all the good food and fellowship. Amen. And the uh, friendship with these brethren has been special, not just this year, but each time that we're here. And uh, I appreciate Brother uh, Bass specifically for his friendship and uh, for the vision that he has for the work of the Lord and uh, for his vision in having this meeting, the SCORE conference. And I appreciate his ministry too. I've been blessed numerous times by his ministry and I just feel very, very honored to be asked to come and participate here tonight and to be in the company of such great men as we have here tonight and have been here in these days. Uh, I would like to tell you how much this SCORE conference has meant to me over the years. Not only the times that I've been privileged to minister here, but the other times when I have been here as a visitor. Last year, I didn't think that I would be able to come, and almost at the last minute, I just felt compelled in the Holy Ghost to come. And so I bought a ticket and came. And one more time, I was saved by the Word of God. 
A good friend of mine who is now departed used to say that he hated it when people would ask him after a revival meeting how many people got saved. Because he said his answer always was, I don't know how many people got saved. Because we have no idea how many folks, if they had not heard that one message, would not be living for God today. I heard exactly what I needed when I was here last year. And then I also bought a set of tapes from the previous year. I hadn't been here and uh, I had to take another trip by automobile shortly after. And I was by myself and I took those tapes with me and I was just like mainlining on those tapes. I would put one in and as soon as one ended I would eject it and pop another one in and I wept and I rejoiced and God spoke to me so wonderfully thank you brother Bass and thank you saints of life tabernacle for this burden for making this available to us it's been a blessing to so many praise the Lord give this good church a hand clap would you do that Praise the Lord. Once again this year, the ministering of the Word of God has been exceptional. And from the very first night, uh, and I wish I could comment appropriately on each of these men because each message has done something special for me. But on the first night, Brother Mustaine, I mean, he didn't even, he didn't even uh, take any time... You know, to go about it gently, he just reached straight into my heart. And uh, and the Lord started working then, and I appreciate so much him delivering his heart that night. Yesterday morning, Brother Trevino, what a special message we heard on the bruised reed and the smoking flags. Anybody relate to that at all? Have you ever felt like a bruised reed? Like a smoking flax. Maybe you feel like it right now. Do you have any more hope now that you can make it? And, you know, I thought about Brother Trevino. uh, Brother Murray Burr said about me one time that I was born with a permanent frown on my face. I don't know what he means by that. I guess I don't smile enough or it looks like I'm frowning all the time. People think I'm mad all the time and I'm not, but... Uh, maybe it's a good time they think good thing they think that sometimes anyway, but uh, <clears throat> Brother Trevino was just the opposite. He was born with a permanent smile on his face <laughs> and, and just so radiant and appreciate his dedication to the work of God. You know what I think the Church of the Living God is going to be all right in these last days. <laughs> God's still raising up some good men. Praise the Lord. Brother Frost talked to us about warring this warfare. And last night, Brother Howard, about intercession. Lord, have mercy. I want to be an intercessor. Lots of names came before my mind. And I wondered how many, how how long has it been since I wept over them? I'm going to go home and pray about them again, Brother Howard. 
and see if the Lord will lay that spirit of intercession on me. They need to be saved. Praise God. Today, Brother Rowley, praise the Lord, and Brother Johnson both. What a marvelous job. All of these men have run well. And I'm just, I'm just hoping, you know, the baton has been passed successfully from one to the other. I just don't want to drop it right here at the end of the race. I'd like to be able to say something that will be beneficial to your walk with the Lord tonight. Amen. I want to say just a couple more things before I read my text. And that is that what I feel in my heart tonight, I am not comfortable about. And, and the reason I'm not comfortable is because, for one thing, I've never preached it before. And that's highly unusual for me. I don't like to preach anything uh, somewhere else that I haven't first scratched on at home. And while I have touched on the elements of this at home, I have not preached this message before tonight. In fact, I didn't stop writing these notes till just just right before church time. And, uh, and when the Lord began to deal with me about this, my first reaction was, Oh no. And I searched diligently through reams of, of other notes to see if something else could click, but nothing clicked. And I thought maybe by the time this meeting would go by, I would, you know, feel good about something else. But I don't. And this is it. Praise the Lord. And, uh, and one, another reason I don't feel comfortable is because I don't feel qualified and I don't feel capable to deal with this subject. I really feel like somebody much more capable than I should be up here, much more qualified. But... But, uh, uh, you know, this is what I have. And having said that, I would not attempt to preach this subject. Maybe I'm building it up too, too much here and it's just going to sound like a pop gun. But uh, I would not attempt this if this was not my first time here. Or if this was my first time here. Or if this was my first time out. And, and I'm saying that to say that you know, we might deal with some things here tonight that I'm going to have to depend on your leniency and your tolerance and understanding. And hope that you know me by now. That you know what I believe and you know what I stand for. Praise the Lord. But uh, anyway, if you'll turn with me in the book of First, excuse me, in the book of James. Chapter 2. Good to see many of my friends here at this meeting. So good to be with you. James chapter 2. And I want to read beginning with verse number 14. It is a little dry up here, Brother Johnson. Verse 14 says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, 
Be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? And my subject tonight is simply this. I want to preach to you about going beyond revelation. Going beyond revelation. Could you lift your hands one more time and ask the Lord to help us tonight? Lord Jesus, again we come before your presence. Feel so fearful tonight. So careful. Because we are standing in your presence. And I am here in this awesome position of having to deliver your word. I pray that you will enable me. Lord, I do not feel able tonight. But I pray that you'll let your anointing rest upon me. Help me, God, to faithfully represent your will. Touch my lips with the coal from off the altar. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, God. Come on, I feel His presence. Let's reach out to Him a little bit more. Come on, we got to wind this up right here tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, could somebody just get a spirit of intercession for just a moment here tonight? Hallelujah. Oh, God, we praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. God bless you tonight. You may be seated. I've got a long ways to go, so I'm just going to jump right into this tonight. But I feel like James is dealing in this book, up to this point anyway, with several things pertaining to what I might call pretentious religion. For instance, in chapter 1, verses 21 through 25, Amen. He starts out by saying, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. It talks about the man that looks at his face in a glass or in a mirror and goes away and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. And he said that's the way a person is when they look into the word of the Lord and then they go away and it has no lasting effect upon them. They forget what manner of man that they were. In verse 26 he says, If a man among you seem to be religious 
and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart. This man's religion is vain. In verse 27, he said, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Hallelujah. That's pure religion and undefiled. In chapter 2, from verses 1 through 9, Amen, he is speaking about those that would give preferential treatment to the rich over the poor or that would have men's persons in admiration or would show favoritism over one or the other because of their perhaps social standing and uh, so he he pokes at that pretentiousness and then from verses 10 through 13 he says that if you keep all the law but you offend in any one point of it that you are guilty of all of the law praise the lord so from verses 14 on through the end of chapter 2 he is dealing with the subject of faith without works and he says that faith without works is vain you can have faith but if there aren't works to go with it in the eyes of god it is just vain there are three examples that are given here and i'm not going to take the time to deal with them this evening but uh, he gives the examples number one of the brother and sister who is destitute and they have need and he said you do not give them those things that are needful he said what doth it profit the second example is of abraham offering up isaac on the altar that without those works his faith would have been in vain and the third is of rahab the harlot amen who also was justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them away another uh, set them out another way praise the lord I, I feel like when he speaks about faith here he isn't talking about more uh, at least for the most part more than than just what we might think about you know faith for healing or for the answer to some prayer or something that just gives you you know a momentary or or temporary relief from whatever but i feel like he's talking about uh, a more of a belief system that it is your core values that it goes beyond something that's shallow and superficial and momentary but that it is deep and profound praise god amen and so uh he makes it clear that there there is there's another way that you can nullify faith you read in the book of hebrews and and you read about the israelites and the bible said they could not enter in because of unbelief unbelief is fatal to faith praise the lord the bible said if you don't have faith that it is sin that uh, he that cometh to god must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him praise the lord but it, it is not just unbelief that can kill your faith he said faith without works is dead in other words amen there has also got to be an acting on what somebody believes for instance we we know about the error of uh, many of the denominal christians today 
who simply stand on this one thing. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. They isolate that one scripture from everything else and build a whole gospel around it. Amen. And consequently, they are not standing on solid ground. Amen. I hope you all don't wait till the next hour before you decide to get with me tonight. Praise the Lord. But I was talking to somebody the other day and, and, and they brought that up to me and they said, doesn't the Bible say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved? And I said, it does indeed say that. Amen. But the problem is that's not all that it says. Naturally, you've got to start from that point. If you don't believe, amen, that Jesus is Christ and you don't believe he is your Messiah, you're not going to believe anything else he has to say. You've got to also realize that those words were spoken to people who were pagans, who were idol worshippers, who number one, did not even have an accurate concept of God, and secondly, had very vague knowledge of who Jesus was. And the apostle was saying, you've got to start there. You've got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and then you will be saved. But that's not the end of it. Jesus himself said, Amen, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now suddenly you have something in addition to just believing. Amen, believing isn't enough, my friend. You've got to be baptized. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, yes, you do. And then he goes on to say, and he that believeth not shall be damned. And there's folks that like to pick up on that and say, see there, he didn't say, he that believeth not and is not baptized shall be damned. And so baptism isn't really all that important. The point is, if you don't believe, you won't be baptized. He not only told you that in addition to believing you must be baptized, he also told you how you've got to be baptized. Oh, just bear with me here a little while. Amen. Jesus told his disciples, go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. I can hear somebody sucking in their breath right now. Oh, don't bring up Matthew 28, 19. That's a little bit confusing. That's a Trinitarian scripture. No not my friend it's a one God scripture it's a Jesus name scripture there is a name that fits that description there is a name singular that applies to the father and the son and the Holy Ghost amen either Jesus wasn't telling it right or Peter wasn't telling it right you gotta make a decision either Jesus had it wrong or Peter had it wrong because on the day of Pentecost when they said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? He said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. 
And Jesus is the one that introduced us to baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus preached repentance. Jesus is the one that introduced to his disciples. Amen. The promise of the Father, which was the Holy Ghost. And told them, go tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with what? Until you be endued with what? Just a blessing? Just an add-on little something? Amen. To your salvation? Until you be endued with power. Let me tell you something tonight. No Holy Ghost, no power. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. Come on, am I preaching in a Baptist church tonight? And you shall be witnesses unto me. You've got to have the Holy Ghost. Don't witness without it. Don't preach without it. Don't sing without it. Don't attempt one thing without it. You've got to have the Holy Ghost. No, my friend, yes, you've got to believe on Him, but you must also repent. You must also be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you must receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And if you want to get it right, you've got to get it the way they got it. Speaking in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight. Amen. You say you believe? Fine. Then act on your belief. And you can be seated. If I had in front of me here a bucket of water and a bar of soap, and you were to ask me, do you believe that this water and soap has the power to make somebody's hands clean? And I say, yes, I believe. But I'm just standing there looking at it. It doesn't do me any good. If you even personalize it a little further and you say, do you believe that it has the power to make your hands clean? And I stand there and look at the water and the soap and say, I absolutely believe that water and soap has the ability to make my hands clean. But my hands are still dry. My belief does not profit me at all. Not until I say, let me show you how much I believe. And I pick up the bar of soap and dunk my hands in the water and begin to wash. And then I hold up my clean hands. And then I can show you my faith by my works. It's not enough just to believe on Jesus. You've got to act on what he said. Amen. But that's not my message tonight. I want to talk to you about verse number 19. This is the verse that to my thinking, at a glance, seems to be out of place here. The apostle is dealing with faith without works. And he's giving these three examples that I spoke to you about. And then, right in the middle of all of that, he says, Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Now, you know, what was happening here, uh, and I know we've rejoiced over this scripture many times. How many times have we quoted it, preaching about one God, and we've hooped and hollered and, and kicked 
up our heels and felt good about it, and we should, because it's true and it's right and it's powerful. In fact, let me just stop there a moment and say, if you still believe in one God, you're doing good. Your bills might not all be paid, but you're still doing good. You might not be on the mountaintop right now, but you're still doing good. If you believe in one God. But while the apostle was writing this epistle, amen, he didn't just all of a sudden have a one God fit and decide to throw this verse into the mix for no reason at all. This verse is not in here by chance or accident. Even though again at a glance it might seem to be illogical and placed out of its context. You see you're already getting quiet on me. I told you it wasn't going to be easy. Let me tell you what's really happening here. While the apostle is writing about faith being without works is dead. He mentions this. You believe there is one God? You're doing well. But what he is really doing is chiding them. What he is really doing is goading them. Amen. For rejoicing in that knowledge, but doing little or nothing about it. In other words, you believe there is one God big whoopie doo for you. The devils also believe. You haven't done nothing. Oh, y'all are starting to look at me that way. If I have to, I'll close my eyes and preach tonight. Let me stop right here and just qualify myself a little bit, but I don't have time to qualify everything I'm going to say. Amen. So let me just qualify myself by saying, first of all, we have a need for a revelation. You've got to have a revelation of who Jesus is. You've got to have a revelation on the Godhead. Oh yes, it is important. It's not just a matter of semantics. It's not a matter of just the way you look at it. It is an absolute. You've got to have it. Jesus wasn't playing around in Matthew 16 when he asked his disciples, Who the men say that I am? And they started offering up different answers that they had heard here and there. And finally Jesus shrugs them off and says, But who do you say that I am? It is important for you to know who he is. And be it to Peter's everlasting credit, he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus gave him a nay on his report card. And he said, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah. Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. You don't get this just by book learning. You don't get this just by education. There are people that have written commentaries as long as my arm that don't know who Jesus is. If you know who Jesus is tonight, you've got a reason to shout. You've got a reason to rejoice. You've got something to be thankful for. Let me tell you what distresses
encourage me tonight. And that is the number of people in our churches that do not really have a revelation. They couldn't give you a one God scripture of their life depending on it. They've been sitting on our pews and hearing us preach for years. And they still don't have this in their heart. Somehow or another this gospel and this message has never seeped into their soul and illuminated their spirit. Hallelujah. And they're still walking around in confusion. And they still stumble at the word of God. And they hope fervently that nobody will ask them about what they believe because they don't have an answer. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. And so I'm going to tell you tonight, there is still a great need for contending for this faith that was once delivered unto the saints. We're going to keep on preaching it. We're going to keep on declaring it. We're going to keep on making a big deal about it. Because it is a big deal. Except you believe Jesus said that I am He. You will die in your sins. Praise the Lord. Especially nowadays when there are some, amen, who seem to be willing to compromise this great truth and play around with it and and are selling out this message just for a little acceptance and a little recognition and somehow a little validation. You know, this is a pet peeve of mine these days. What is it about us apostolics that we're still having this identity crisis and we still have this inferiority complex? And it still bothers us when the charismatics call us the other Pentecostals. And when they say that we need to repent and rejoin mainstream religion, why is it that some people crave their acceptance? Go ahead and get quiet. I'm going to preach here tonight. our heads. It's time to declare ourselves. It's time to say we're one God and not ashamed of it. We're going to keep on preaching Acts 2.38 and we're not going to apologize for it. I'm going to say it one more time. You still must repent. Be baptized in Jesus' name and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Or you're not going to make heaven your home. I don't care how much religion you've got. I don't care how much Bible you've got memorized. I don't care what choir you sing and how big the church you attend is. You've got to come in the Acts 2.38. You've got to be born of water and of the Spirit. Or you will neither see nor enter the kingdom of God. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Amen. When my father got the revelation of the oneness of the Godhead, he walked out of where he was. 
Though he had one of the fastest growing churches in Sao Paulo, Brazil with several thousand members, he walked out from where he was and never went back and tried to realign himself. Praise the Lord. And years later when he ran into one of his former compadres, amen, who had harassed him and even tried to have, amen, the, uh, the powers that be, the political powers of, of the city there to have him thrown out of the country and his residential status revoked supposedly for heresy and false doctrine. And that didn't succeed. The Lord turned it against them. He received the summons before, amen, the city council. And when he came in there, they had the charges before them and said, here's these people, they want you thrown out of the country because you're preaching false doctrine. Just what is it that they are so mad about? And he had his Bible with them and said, I think I'll just show you. showed them these scriptures and they passed the Bible around the room and they all took turns reading it and they finally said well we've read it for ourselves it's in there we can't see that there's any grounds to have you thrown out of the country amen they not only didn't throw him out they made him an honorary citizen of the city of Sao Paulo gave him a gold medallion in recognition and said we're going to give you five minutes on the presidential program amen that the president had that would reach the entire nation a half hour program they didn't just give him five minutes they gave him 25 minutes and he preached to the entire country of Brazil there is just one God and his name is Jesus Amen. Happened to bump into him downtown. And, uh, you know, it was like Sam Ballard and Tobias. They were much cast down in their own eyes. And he bumped into him and thought it was a good time to extend the right hand of fellowship. And he was building a large temple and it wasn't finished yet. I know I've told this story before. Amen. But, but uh, he said, we're having a special service to just kind of uh, celebrate the phase of construction where we're at. And I would like for you to come preach. And my dad said, you know good and well, I can't come preach for you. And the man said, why not? And he said, because you know what I'm going to preach when I get there. And he said, come on anyhow. Now what I'm telling you is not hearsay. I was there. I was just a young boy, but I was there. I was in all of the size of that Colosseum. There were thousands of people there. But my dad stepped to the pulpit, opened his Bible, read Acts 2.38, and preached this apostolic message. So it makes me just a little bit hot to find out that there are some fellas today that feel so insecure about this message. They're trying to get acceptance from the Trinitarians. Or when they're in a position to declare this gospel, they all of a sudden get locked on. Hey, I don't care. Amen. If you get an invitation to preach in the local Catholic church, go and preach. But be true to this message. You can be seated. 
We're not apologizing. We don't feel inferior. We're not second class citizens. We're not playing second fiddle. We've got the truth. We'll stand flat footed and say that without batting an eye. There is just one God. And he doesn't exist in three persons. Though some are still confused over the scriptures and can't seem to sort things out. Amen. You know, the Trinitarians, they love to use verses like, like Psalms 110 and verse 1 where David said, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand till I make thine enemies my footstool. And they talk about God the Father saying to God the Son, Sit down here, sonny. Till I make thine enemies my footstool. How does that fit in with co-equal? Co-powerful? Co-eternal? And they think that that's a scripture that was a present tense of reality when they was first written. When in fact it was a prophetic scripture. Just like Psalms chapter 2. Amen. In verse 7. When the Lord said, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. If that's a present tense scripture. I'll just bear with me tonight. If that's a present tense scripture. Then it means that the son was begotten way back then. At the time of David. So again, how does that fit in with co-eternal? And then they get all confused when the Bible speaks about, you know, let us make God in our image. And they say, see there, that's the Holy Trinity speaking. Amen. Well, why just make it three? Revelation has seven spirits of God. Could have been seven of them. Could have been more than that. That speak about the one 
oneness of God. And then you have verses that speak about let us this or that. You know that it's not talking about more than one God. The problem is not a contradiction of the scripture. The problem is your understanding of the scripture. Let me tell you, honey, amen, let me put your mind at ease. You can stand here tonight and lift up your heads and say without any hesitation, there is only one God. Here's the Trinitarian's explanation of the Trinity. You ready? Can't explain it. Can't explain it. Can't explain it. I've never known a Trinitarian to shout over a Trinitarian message. But there's something about this one God message. There's an anointing in it. There's an authority in it. There's a power in it. So you know what? We're not going to let some of these guys intimidate us. Let some of them go back and rebuild those bridges if they want to. But we're not going back. We're not going to build again the things that we once destroyed. I'm so glad to be called a one God Christian. Praise the Lord. Amen. We're going to keep contending for that faith. We're going to keep contending for holiness and righteous living. Holiness within and without. Oh, yeah. I don't care how many split skirts show up. Don't care how many young ladies bob their hair. Don't care how many churches say it's okay to wear makeup and jewelry. And a little of this and a little of that. God's going to have some men that are still going to declare it. Hallelujah. We're still against low neck lines. Short skirts. Tight dresses. You see, some people think the ministry's so dumb that they've got to speed on a technicality. They've got the hemline almost down to their ankles. But it's so tight it looks like it's painted on. And it still leaves very little to the imagination. Why don't you pray through and just make up your mind that you're going to live for God? from Cosmopolitan or GQ magazine. We're God's people. We're special people. We're holy people. We are separated people. Now deal with it and get over it.
can say amen to it. It won't hurt you. Thank God not all churches are filling up with carnality. Not all churches are filling up with worldliness. And Hollywood and television. Amen. Young lady backslid one time and said, All you're going to have left is a bunch of old people. Nobody's going to live this today. That ought to make some of you young folks mad. You ought to make it up in your mind. You've got something to prove. You've got a unique opportunity and a unique challenge to show that the devil is a liar and the truth is not in him. There are young men that are going to live for God. There are young ladies that are going to live for God and keep their integrity and keep their morality. Amen. And keep their holiness and righteousness before God. Give the Lord another hand clap of praise. So we're going to keep on contending for this faith. We're going to keep on preaching it and declaring it. Whether some folks like it or not. Because it's right. It's right. It's still right in 2003. Don't care what the big church across town is doing. It's still right. Stay with your pastor. Get behind him. When he starts preaching these truths, get up on your feet and back him up. And help him preach. Make it easy for him. And moms and dads, when it gets on your sons and daughters, back up the preacher. Don't sit there and make excuses for your child. Don't take the sting out of the message on the way home. Let it burn, baby burn. It's the only thing that's going to save them in this hour. This is a wicked world, a perverted world, an immoral world. You want them to stay in church. You want them to keep on respecting that man of God. We're going to keep preaching it not only because it's right, but there's always going to be somebody that needs to hear it again. I'm not taking anything for granted these days. Hey man, I'm not taking anything for granted in my assembly. Praise the Lord. You think, well, they already know all this. No, they may not know all this. They may not have been listening till just right then. So we're just going to keep preaching it again and again. And it's up to some of you that have heard it over and over to keep from slumping over in your elbow. And getting that bored look on your face. Because you already heard all this and you know where the preacher's going. If you know where he's going, get up behind him and help him. That's not what I came to preach to you about. You've got to have a revelation. But I'm here to preach to you about going beyond. A revelation. 
I'm here to tell you tonight that our experience in God must, you may be seated, must progress beyond affirmation. You know what? Some things ought to be settled by now. In some people's hearts and minds. It's great to believe in one God. But I'm going to say it again. You haven't really done anything all that unique. When you say, I believe in one God. Because all you've said is something the devil's willing to say. The devils also believe. And at least they tremble. And I'd like to think there's some devils trembling here tonight. Even some half-hearted, lukewarm apostolics that are starting to tremble here tonight. When you can say something that even the devil can say, you don't deserve no brownie buttons. No special lapel pins or bumper stickers or graduation certificates. In fact, I even read in my Bible that the devils have enough good sense to worship when they are standing in the presence of Jesus Christ. Wild man of Gadara comes running out of the tombs. Naked. Wretched. About as vile as the human being can go. Full of so many devils, his name is Legion. When he saw Jesus, he didn't run at him and try to claw his eyes out. He fell down at his feet and the Bible said he worshipped him. sat through this whole meeting since Wednesday night and they haven't had the good sense to worship God yet. I'm not going to let the devil do something that's right that I won't do. settle down here tonight. Am I, am I the only one in this place this evening that's getting a little bit tired of having to reconvince the same people over and over and over about the merits of living for God? Haven't you got that yet? Isn't that settled in your mind yet? 
You mean you got to come back service after service and have the preacher prop you up on your leaning side? Because you're standing in jeopardy every hour. And you're only about that far from backsliding all the time. And some of you have been around church for years. For years. And there are people that have never one time experienced the power of God in their life. I know I'm going to make a radical statement here tonight and you're going to really look at me cross-sided. Now just hold on. But I have so much confidence in this message. Not the message I'm preaching, but this gospel, this truth. I have so much confidence in the presence and the power of God. You know, with everything the terrorists did on September 11th that have has turned this world upside down. I look at the pictures of those young men who were so passionate about a cause they believed in. And I thought to myself, they have never one time, Brother Bass, I wonder what would have happened if they could have stood in a red hot apostolic service one time. Bin Laden is so full of the devil that none of this could affect him. But I I just wonder what that man would feel if he could step into the Shekinah glory of God one time. And people that know these truths have sat in these pews year after year and have grown immune to the presence of God. A preacher friend of mine said we spend seemingly two-thirds of our time trying to reconvince people that they made a good choice. Amen. And the reason for that, at least with some folks, is because all they comprehend about living for God is a system of do's and don'ts. And if that's all you see in this, I feel sorry for you. No wonder you're miserable. No wonder you sit there like a knot on a log. No wonder you can't get your hands above your shoulder. And praise the Lord if that's all you see. Has anybody ever felt like David did when he said, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. Living for God is beautiful. It's wonderful. It's glorious. It's attractive. It's desirable for any age group. I don't care where you are in life. You don't have to backslide, teenager, and experience the world before you can come back and be happy in church. You can stay right on a church pew and live for God all your life and be thankful unto God. Have our church services sometimes just gotten to where they're just 
glorified pep rallies to keep some folks, some carnal people doing right for one more week. Lord, I hope they get enough tonight to carry them through till Wednesday night. Wednesday night, we got to do it all over again. And the folks that were running the aisles on Sunday night come in dragging their feet on Wednesday night. And say, oh Lord, here we go again. It's no wonder we have such a hard time making some progress. I don't know about you tonight, but my mind's made up. You hear me? If I can rejoice all the way to glory, then wonderful. But if I got to walk, I'll walk. If I got to crawl, I'll crawl. I don't come to church to see who's going to shake my hand and who's going to speak to me. I don't come to see who's going to pay a little attention to me. I didn't come here for you. I came here because I got to be saved. Above all else. Sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Amen. We have gotten to the point where what should be just our reasonable service has become something to shout and boast about. tonight, is this really it? Is this just this? Is this the sum total of what being saved is all about? We come in here and somebody pets us and pampers us and encourages us a little bit so we can go a little bit further. Thank God for all of that, but but where are folks that have their mind made? I was preaching the other day. How much time do some people have to think about it? Amen. Whether they're going to get out of a burning building or not. We're in a burning building. Does anybody want out? I'm just trying to find somebody who will say, I want out of the burning building. I don't care about what door by what window. trying to preach and not letting my humanity show out. But I guess it's too late for that. But you know, it just seems like to me, and I'm not trying to be a a, a smart aleck tonight. I didn't want to preach this message. But are we just coming to church and just simply congratulating ourselves on our uniqueness? Aren't we special? Oh, you folks are just wonderful people. Thank you for coming tonight. And thank you for clapping your hands. And thank you for worshiping. And oh, thank you for that offering. Thank you that you condescended to come to church tonight. And we're pampering people and petting people and thanking people for being in church. We've got it all backwards. My Bible said enter into his gate with thanksgiving. And into his courts with praise. What this 
thing. I'm proud of myself for being here. We end up feeling good because we didn't cuss this week. Didn't drink. Didn't smoke. Didn't commit adultery. Fornication. All week long. Aren't you proud of me, Pastor? Oh yeah, you done good. You done good. Now see if you can do that another week. What I'm trying to say is what should be our lowest common denominator of our faith has become our highest achievement. So you did right. So you lived holy. So you didn't go out there and fool around. It is your reasonable service. You have done nothing yet. Sometimes it reminds me of, of going through a scanner at the airport. You go through and you, you walk through. You don't, nobody ever walks normally through there. They just kind of get this. Hey man, and, and you're worried about passing inspection and not setting off any alarms. And that's the way some folks come to church. They just want to be able to pass inspection. And not set off any alarms. And not get preached at. Ooh, 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 pastor's looking at me. I better clap my hands. Oh, 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 pastor's looking at me while he's preaching. I better. You're a hypocrite. I'm trying to, brother. Said one time recently, he said, Dressing right is the easiest thing I've ever had to do. Why is it such a big deal? When you finally get somebody dressing right, you say, Oh God, take them quick. For a few services, boy, they feel so sanctimonious till the next fad comes along. Till the next fashion arrives. Oh, help me, Jesus, tonight. I'm not trying to be unkind. And I'm not trying to be cruel. I'm trying to tell you that living for God has got to be more than just our affirmation. We're Pentecostal. We're apostolic. We're one God. Be seated. I got it. Could 
Could it be possible? Just, just, just think with me here for a minute. I know it's tough, but just think with me for a minute. Could it be possible that God might have a higher ideal for us? Than us just coming to church and rejoicing because our sleeves are down to here and our hair is this and... Yep, we're one God! And if you think I'm poking fun at holiness, you don't know me. And so I read in my text here tonight... Something that I think illustrates a principle. You've got to take it at more than face value. It's a principle. And it speaks about a brother or a sister who is destitute. And, and, and we have a responsibility to them. So you know what that tells me? Now I know, uh, you know, this probably meant something a little bit more magnified to them in that time than it does us. We've got all these social programs and whatever for people to fall back on. They didn't have that then. And when, pe- when somebody was destitute, they were just destitute. And there's still countries in the world where it's like that. They're just destitute. You don't have a job, forget about going to the unemployment office. You're going to be on the street in just a matter of days. And so, you know, this had great importance and great significance to them. And I can just see that there must have been a problem in the church in those, t- those days with folks saying, well, you know, we make it the best way we can. We just, you, you just going to have to make it the way, best way you can. And we can't help everybody that's in financial and material need. I understand that. That's why I said this is a principle here. And the principle is this, that our lives should touch other people's lives. I know that didn't go off with the sonic boom, but it was still, if you heard it, it was a biggie. Come in here and stretch your stuff all you want to, but until your life is touching other people's lives. You can shout till midnight. Come on, dance, 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 dance all night. And I'm not making fun of that. But your religion has got to be deeper than that. Now, don't get me wrong, there are some folks that I would feel very, very happy just to see them progress to that point. I've got a few folks that in nearly 15 years of pastoring, I have never seen tears run down their face. Never. I have never seen them just lose control. You know what I'm talking about. If it ever happened, I know people would think, they would think they were having a heart attack. Praise the Lord. But here's the problem, folks. And I got to get to the point here and wrap this up at some point down the road. 
But we have got too many who have the confirmation of Pentecost. But who live such self-centered lives. It's all about them. Me. My problem. My need. My trial. My situation. My battle. My struggle. You poor pitiful pearl. You say, are you making fun of me? I just might be. There are some folks, they would not ever think of going out of their way. Altering their routine one iota to pick somebody up for church. somebody at the hospital after all that's the pastor's job that's why we pay tithes until they get sick then they want you there from morning till night if they don't have nothing but an ingrown toenail southern thing and I don't adapt very well even though I was born in Florida I am more southerner than some of you are I was born in Florida, I was raised in South America I evangelized out of South Bend Indiana and I pastor in Louisiana, so I'm a southerner. And I know this is a southerner thing, but I, you know what? If I get sick, I don't want people coming in there looking at me. I, I don't, I don't, I don't appear before people in my pajamas on a good day. I, I don't want the whole folks coming sitting around looking at me and studying me and trying to figure out if I'm breathing normal or not. Pray for me at a distance. You say, you'll feel different about that when it comes your turn. Maybe so. But there are some folks, brother, they want everybody there. When it's their deal, they want everybody. They got their little calculators out. They know who's visited them and how often. And they judge to see how compassionate the church is for them. But when they're well, don't ever expect them to go out of their way, not one little bit. You're wearing down and I'm not through. And I'm not going to finish till I'm through. You know that. Don't expect them to go on visitation. Who's got time for that? Monday night or Monday's when I do wash. Tuesday's when I buy groceries. Wednesday I get my hair fixed. Thursday is this. Friday is that. Saturday I go shopping. Walmart, here I come. Don't expect me to go on visitation. That's for somebody else to do. And you know what? Here's the thing, folks. And I'm not trying to be ugly. God knows I'm not. But these are all one God people. 
volunteer for some special duty around the church. They're the ones that show up late and leave early. They're not going to clean up a table. They're not going to soil their hands. They're not going to push a vacuum cleaner. If they happen to see a piece of paper on the floor, let the custodian take care of that. That's not my job. I'm a song leader. I'm a musician. I can't stoop to washing the commodes and cleaning the bathrooms. Let somebody else who's more equipped for that, you know. They're just simpler. Is this all right, Pastor Bass? This may not be a Friday night message at SCAR, but it's all I felt. I'm telling you, it's not enough just to come to church and clap your hands over one God. But you can't lift a finger to promote the work of God. I know I'm being brutal here tonight because I'm preaching it. I'm preaching to people here who do all of those things, who are dedicated, who are consecrated, who don't stop to see who's doing it and who's not doing it. They just do it because it's supposed to be done, because it needs to be done. They don't count how many times another person's in the prayer room when they are. They just know they need to be there. They don't check to see somebody else is worshiping before they do. They just worship because they love God. They do the work that the church needs to be done. And they don't say, I've done this long enough. Let somebody else do it. They'll do it till they die. Because their heart's in it. I'm talking about people who don't know how to prefer their brother. They'll get in a tiff over a parking spot. How dare you? You know that's where I always park. Got some of you. I got you. I saw it. Sparks flew. Or worse than that, if they get your space on the pew. for a whole service. You'll sit somewhere else and fume and steam. They should know that's where I usually sit. Every so often, everybody ought to sit somewhere different just to get a different view of the pulpit. Change sides so the word of God hits you on the other ear to see if it sticks any better. somebody. I'm preaching about going beyond revelation. Your religion, your experience has got to be good enough. 
to be able to touch somebody else's life in a positive way. How can folks stand around an altar even when the power of God is moving and being a fuss by the time they get in the parking lot? You explain that to me. Oh, but they can shout over one God. Amen. And they are proud of how spiritual they are. And they know all the faults of everybody else in the church. We really need to lift our hands and pray here for just a moment. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Be seated here a little bit. I know I've been slapping you around a little bit here tonight. And we've been laughing and, you know, because some of it, we have to laugh to keep from crying. It's like 15 years in church, 20 years in church, and they haven't learned one thing. But it's going to get serious now. If your brother or sister be destitute... Well, you know, that may not, that may not mean quite the same to us as it did in their day, as I've already stated. And it might not be the material and the financial needs that we have to be that concerned about this evening. But hold on. What the world around us really needs, and we have it, is this gospel. Notice how nobody ran the aisles in, but that's what this world really needs. Now, I want to ask a sincere question tonight. I'm not being facetious. Do we really believe this is the only way? I know you've been asked that a hundred times before, but I'm just, just want you to think about it again here tonight. Do we really believe this is the only way? I'm going to knock your hat in the creek tonight. I'm going to tell you, we don't. We don't. If we did, why are we having to spend so much energy, so much time, so much effort, just keeping this one and that one happy and settled down and living for God? And and when, when they are finally doing right, boy, that's it. I mean, don't expect nothing else. That's it. Jesus, That's the peak. 
What would any one of these pastors be able to do in their local assemblies if they didn't have to spend so much time pulling and tugging on the same people? Come on, pretty please, one more step. One more step. That's it. Good boy. Good girl. If everybody that is here tonight would really get a revelation of this truth and realize that we have hold of something that is absolutely phenomenal, that it literally has the power to change absolutely anybody's life. Yes, even Osama bin Laden, if he would repent. Paul said, Christ has come into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He said, I was a blasphemer and I was a persecutor of the church. What could change that man? The same gospel you have. just works here, but it works in Honduras, Brother Thompson, with your interpreter the other day. Just dangle it by them, and I'm telling you, even something can just spark and connect, and the next thing you know, tears are running down their face. And it's tearing them apart, and it's breaking them up. And they're repenting and crying and snotting because they want something. They don't understand it, but they know the needs. Oh, don't give me that look that says, oh, here we go, another evangelism message. We should have known. Yeah, you should have known. This is the Southeastern Conference on Revival and Evangelism. I do not feel qualified or capable to preach this, but this is my assignment tonight. And I'm going to preach it because I feel it burning in my heart. I'm not trying to score points with these men. I'm not trying to impress anybody. I'm just trying to please God tonight. that can change people's lives. It's not enough just to get in here and shout about it. We've got to go beyond revelation. What are we doing with this knowledge? We know something the Queen of England doesn't know. We know something President Bush doesn't know. We know something Albert Einstein didn't know. He knew the theory of relativity. He never did figure out Acts 2.38. You know the formula of salvation. It's more powerful than the atomic bomb. Oh, God. If we really believe it, I submit to you we have an awesome responsibility tonight. I'm not going to be able to say all this the way I want to say it, so let me just get through it tonight. 
I don't know how you feel, but sometimes we are intimidated by the sheer size of our task. So are you trying to tell me, Brother Alvear, we're going to save the world? No. We're not going to save the world. You're not going to save your whole city. It's never been done. Never been done. It probably won't happen in your city. We're not going to save our whole city. I'm not going to save my whole city. I'm not preaching revival at any cost. Save the souls at the expense of doctrine and holiness and righteousness. But there is a key in these scriptures. And it says that if your brother and sister be naked and destitute. Let me tell you something. You're not going to win everybody. Let me tell you who we're looking for. We're looking for those that are hungry and who are thirsty. That's the only ones you're looking for. You're not going to help the rest. They might be wonderful people. They might would be great assets to the assembly if they would get saved. They might have connections. They might have this or that. But you know what? You're not going to save them if they're not hungry. I don't care how much you pray and how much you fast. You're not going to save them until they get hungry. When you talk to that person on the job and they laugh in your face, don't get intimidated. Don't get demoralized. Don't get discouraged. You just found out there's one person who's not hungry. Just keep looking. Just keep looking. All they did was disqualify themselves. All you're looking is for somebody who's hungry. I'm not talking about walking up to people and saying, Did you know you're going to split hell wide open if you haven't been baptized in Jesus' name? I'm talking about saying something to folks like this. Man, you should have been at church the other night. Have you ever felt the power of God in a church service? Do you know what the Holy Ghost is? Have you ever received the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Start talking to them about what Jesus did for you. You think you've got to be homiletical and you've got to be all kinds of, you know, you've got to be doctors of theology before you can witness and testify. And all you've got to have is an experience. Come on. Amen. Bear with me. We'll be done here after a while. That's all you got to have is an experience. And you begin to share. Pardon me using that word, but share your experience. You know what you're going to find? Sooner or later, somebody, while you're talking to them, are going to get tears in their eyes. Start bleaking them away, and they're going to be embarrassed, and they're going to say, "Excuse me, I don't know why I'm feeling this way." And somebody's going to say, "You know what? I was praying just the other night." That's all you're looking for—is the hungry ones. You're looking for the thirsty ones. And if there's somebody who's hungry, and if there's somebody who's thirsty, you've got what they need. You got it. You got it. What am I going to do if they want to argue scripture? What am I going to do if they laugh at me? You're not going to help the contentious. And you're not going to help the critical. And you're not going to help the person that just wants to argue scripture. 
Sometimes they, they ask you questions because they're sincere and they're inquisitive and they're wanting to know. But if they're just wanting to dig you and embarrass you in front of somebody else, you just found out there's somebody who's not hungry. That's not the one. But there's somebody hungry out there. Somebody hungry out there. You've got a revelation. What are you going to do about it? I have a sneaking suspicion I'm in that second tape already. And I tried to keep that from happening, but... Can you give me just a little bit more time? This, this might be the point at which I would have my wife come up and begin playing, except it would mean I had 45 minutes. Brothers and sisters, how are we going to find them? How are we going to find the hungry ones? How? How are we going to find them? It's like looking for needles in a haystack. Where are they at? There's cars zooming by all the time. Where are they? You go into a mall, it's filled with people. How can you look out there and figure out who the hungry one is? So we got to canvas the whole city. Let me tell you something. That's not always possible. How are you going to find them? I'm just going to tell you what I feel. I believe that we serve a sovereign God. And you may not know who the hungry ones are. But God knows who the hungry ones are. That's why I believe that every time before a child of God gets a job, they should get down on their knees and say, God, I am an ambassador of Christ. Don't let me just look at this for the income opportunity, for the benefit package. Where do you need an ambassador? Put me by somebody who's hungry. And even if i got to put up with a contentious and cantankerous boss for a while, let me believe that somewhere on that job is somebody who's hungry. Let me search till I find them. And there's a sovereign God who, if you are sincere in your heart, will place you where he needs you to be. Oh, y'all don't believe that, but I do. And before you quit a job just because you can't get along with the secretary or can't get along with your supervisor or before you leave an uncomfortable situation, you want to get down on your knees and say, God, are you through with me here? If you've done everything you wanted to do here, I don't want to leave somebody who's hungry here. I don't always preach this way, but it's what I feel. Let me tell you what the Bible said, that the husband is waiting patiently for the fruit of the earth. And you know what? God who knows all things knows who the hungry ones are. And although they are lost right now at this moment, they are in his mind his children. And he desires their salvation. 
It's not His will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He knows where they're at. He's got little colored pins on His map. He knows which street they live on. He knows what alleyway they're down. He knows where they're at. And when the church gets beyond the point where we're just coming here and excited because we didn't smoke another week. When we get into the presence of God and into the will of God and say, God, lead me to one of those hungry ones. You know what? I believe tonight that He's not going to lead us to some of them until we get sincere like we ought to. He doesn't want us to damage them. To come at them with a sour, rotten attitude. And blow them out of the water before they ever have a chance to hear the truth. And get under the presence of God. He's going to keep them under wraps until there's somebody who comes out of a red-hot prayer meeting and says, God, I'm happy for this revelation, but I just can't keep it to myself. Show me somebody. Lead me to somebody. Give me the right words to say. I know you're uncomfortable. I can't help it tonight. But God is going to lead us to them when we get sincere enough that He can trust us with them. What I'm preaching about here this evening is the will of God. If you want to know about the heart of God, just look at the life of Jesus Christ. Look at the mission that He had. He stated His mission over and over. And you've heard this preached time and time again. But He said that His purpose was to come and to seek and to save that which was lost. That was His mission. And you know what? In the course of his ministry, amen, he told numerous parables and stories to illustrate that fact. You have the sower going out and sowing seed. So, you know, a bunch of the seed falls on ground and never does bear any kind of a, 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 of a long-term fruit. But some of it does. Some of it does. And he tells the story about the king who puts on a great feast. And the invitations are sent out. And there's some people that rebuff the invitations. And so the, the, uh, the next instruction is go out then into the highways and the byways and the hedges and compel them to come in find the lame, the halt, the blind the one who knows, they have no other recourse I know it seems like that sometimes the only folks that get into the church are brain damaged or they come from dysfunctional backgrounds and, and they just and I'm not saying that to be disrespectful you understand me, I'm talking about it seems like their lives are all messed up and they can't think right I'm not making fun of people who are mentally incapacitated and it seems like it's such a bother. But he said, go out and find them and compel them that my house may be full. That my house may be full. That my... If I'm charismatic for preaching that, then so be it. Send the tape wherever you want to send it. I'm going to tell it because it's the word of God. That my house may be full. That my house may be full.
He tells the parable of the workers in the vineyard. He tells about the ones that were hired at various times of the day. And they were given certain wages for helping in the harvest. And then he speaks to his disciples and he says, lift up your eyes. Don't say there are yet four months and then cometh the harvest. Lift up your eyes for the harvest is white already. Amen. So this is the only prayer request that Jesus ever made. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers into the harvest. This was the heartbeat of Jesus Christ. This was his mission. This was his will. This was his purpose. Now I'm going to ask you tonight, if this is the desire of God, if this is the will of God, will he not help us if we finally get out of ourselves long enough and get away from our selfish, self-centered thinking long enough to say, God, what do you want me to do? We had a man come to our church a couple of weeks, a couple of years ago, around Christmas time. He just called us out of the blue, wondering what time church was. And everybody, every pastor hears stories like this, but you know we didn't pay it no mind because people call all the time, never show up. And it was on a Saturday and on Sunday morning. I walked in there, sat these two gentlemen. One was a big old fella, and he had long hair down his his back, and earrings, uh, rings in both ears, and a big bushy beard and mustache. And there he sat with his arms crossed and big old bib overalls. And I thought, what have we got here? <laughs> Amen. And, and nobody with little kids sat anywhere close by. They're all afraid of him. And, and anyway, make a long story short, he was there in that service that morning. And, and it turned out that he was working in the area. We didn't know what was going on in his life, but, but two months previously, his wife had lost a baby, was stillborn. And it was unexpected. And, and they got them thinking. He was raised Catholic, had not been to even a Catholic church since he was 15 years old. He was 35. That's 20 years. He had a sister that got saved in Brother D.C. Moody's church six years previously, but he had not seen her since she was in church, so he didn't even know what a Pentecostal was supposed to look like. He just talked to her on the phone. And he was, he was a worker with a company uh, that worked on oil rigs, and he was a diesel mechanic. He had a crew that worked with him, and they moved him all over the country working on these rigs. And he happened to be there in Sulphur for a few weeks, and he talked to his sister, and he was distraught. He was hungry for God. And his sister said, oh, if you're in Sulphur, you need to visit Brother Alviar's church. You've got to go. And so that's why he called up. We didn't know this. He was just there, big old bushy beard, all this stuff. You look at the, the, the package and you think, you make your own determination. But, but it, we preached and, and nothing happened. Preached that night. I, I felt impressed to preach about Jesus. On the last day of the great feast, he stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. And everybody was busy observing the feast around him. But here was the one the feast was supposed to represent. And they were completely passing him by. till he couldn't stand it anymore. If any man thirsts. And I preached and I could tell. You know, you can feel sometimes when, 
when, when the hook sets. He didn't come to the altar, but I could tell that something affected him. He told me that night, I'd like to meet with you and talk sometime. And, and, and I said, okay, we, I'll, I'll be glad to do that in the next few days. And to my shame, I forgot about it. I just, I just got busy. Well, I just got busy. Came back Wednesday night. The work truck was in the parking lot. And I walked in there, and he wasn't sitting where he had been both services Sunday. I thought, well, that's strange. I went into the prayer room. There he was, kneeling down by his chair. His hair was cut. The earrings were gone. The beard was gone. And I hadn't said one thing to him about it. And he was kneeling down praying. And he'd been raised a Catholic. He didn't even know how to pray. But he was listening to other people and he was trying to do what they were doing. And we had a guest preacher there that night. And he stepped to the pulpit and he said, I don't know why, but the Lord changed my mind. I don't feel like preaching what I was going to preach. He said, I'm going to preach from And he named his text. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And about 20 minutes into his message, this man was leaping out of his seat with his hands in the air saying, It's me, God! I'm hungry! I'm thirsty! We serve a sovereign God who knows who they are and He knows where they are. He prayed that night. He didn't get the Holy Ghost, but he repented good. He still had his mustache. Amen. I said, you wanted to talk to me. I said, you still want to? Yeah, I'd like to do that. Can we meet tomorrow night? All right. We set the time. I got there the next night. Amen. Got to the church. He was sitting in the parking lot in his work truck. The dome light was on. I could tell he was reading. And so we went into the office. And he sat down and he looked at me and he said, Pastor... Just tell me where to start. Just tell me where the start button is. And I said, well, there came a man to Jesus one night by the name of Nicodemus. And I started telling him about what Jesus said. His mouth fell open. Tears started running down his face. He said, you'll never believe this. I went to Walmart today and bought my very first Bible. And he said, when I was sitting in the parking lot waiting for you, I just flipped it open. Just decided I'd read it while I had a little time. I was reading John chapter 3 and wondering, what does this mean? So I felt the Holy Ghost come into that room. And I said, so I went all through it. He said, well, I want it. I want it all. I said, well, we have prayer meeting tomorrow night. You can come and get the Holy Ghost tomorrow night. He said, I'll be here. I got there that night. The mustache was gone. He's walking back and forth with that Bible under his arm. Praying. Still in those bib overalls. But he was praying, brother. I couldn't stand it. The suspense was killing me. After about 15 minutes, I stopped him. I said, Kelly, do you really want the Holy Ghost? He said, man, I want it. I said, put your hands up. In five minutes, he was speaking in other tongues. You 
seen it before. Time and time again. It's happened to some of you. Amen. We baptized him Sunday night, which was New Year's Eve. Here's a big fella. Amen. When I baptized him, I thought of what Brother Marty Ballestero said one time. He was baptizing a big old tall policeman, six foot something. And that man looked down at him. That was when he was skinny and scrawny. And he said, are you sure you can do this? And Brother Ballestero said, Amen, hey, it's my job to get you under. It's your job to get out. I didn't have to worry, brother. I got him under. He jumped up, speaking in tongues, about baptized everybody that was around him. my Bible. Tell me where to start. I said, start with Matthew. It'd be a good place to start right now since you don't know anything. Read through the New Testament first, then read the Old Testament. He came back a week later. He said, I did. I, I went through the first, the, the New Testament. Now what do I do? I said, read the Old Testament. Amen. A few services later, he said, Pastor, we need to talk. Can we go for some coffee? I said, fine. Let's go. I knew what he was going to ask. In my spirit, I knew. We got in the truck. Amen. I said, well, you had a question. He said, yeah, I want to know about tithes. And so I started to give him a little mini Bible lesson on paying tithes. He said, no, 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 wait a minute. He said, I'm not asking you if I should. I already read it in my Bible. I know I should. Just tell me how. I said, man, this is too easy. That ain't right. He came back a few days later. He said, guess what, pastor? His wife was in Colorado. That's where they live. And he's been talking to her every day and telling her what's happening to him. And she doesn't know if he's gotten into some kind of a cult or something. She's nervous. He said, guess what, pastor? My company has agreed to fly my wife down here. She's going to be here Sunday. Help me pray that God will get a hold of her. She's going to be here until Thursday. I said, okay, we'll pray. She was there. I said, you won't have to wear a sign around your neck at the airport. I'm Kelly, because she's not going to recognize you. He got, as she got there, she was there on Sunday, just kind of observing, looking around. She didn't make no move. I had to go off preaching that week. And so I had Brother Randy Hammer preaching for us on Wednesday night. I called back Wednesday night just to see how the service had gone. There was a message on my voice answering machine at home. It was from my son calling from church just so I'd get the message. Guess what, Dad? Kelly's wife got the Holy Ghost tonight, and we baptize her in Jesus' name. Now, living for God, you wouldn't think they'd ever live the day out of church in their life. Loves the Word of God, loves the preacher, loves the things of God. I'm telling you, there's some hungry folks out there, and God knows where they're at. And if we will ever go beyond just our own revelation, God will put us in contact with them. I know I'm pushing this beyond the point of endurance tonight. But I want to make a very important point before I bring this to a close tonight. You can be seated here. Amen. There are some folks that are going about it all the wrong way. Resorting to carnal means. Amen. To try to reach the world. They think that what they have to do is apply their own reasoning. So they've taken a corporate approach to soul winning. You know, if we, if we witness to so many people, then we'll, uh, that'll mean we'll get so many yeses, and then out of those yeses, we'll get so many that will, you know, it's just a corporate approach. It leaves the Holy Ghost completely out of it. Amen. Others are cheapening the gospel with easy believism. Come on, you don't have to pay as big a price over here at our church. 
You can do this and that and still live for God over here. Amen. Some are trying so hard to be social and relatable that they've reduced the church atmosphere to nothing more than just like the world. Adapted their lingo and terminology and talk. They've got their hip-hop music and their Christian rap. And I've heard of Pentecostal preachers, amen, that had ridden up to the platform on a Harley Davidson motorcycle with leather clothes on just to get up, you know, and be cool and relate to the crowd of this world. Let me tell you something. The folks that are hungry are sick of this world. They don't want to see it when they come to church. We don't need clowns and all of that junk just to keep people interested. If they're hungry, if they're hungry, just give them the scent of the gospel and they're going to run to it. This charismatic mentality, amen, a humanistic and carnal approach. And then after they've done all of that, you know, it's like somebody said, the charismatic movement is five miles wide and one inch deep. And they got a support group for this and a support group for that. Amen. They got so many support groups. They've even got support groups for gays and lesbians. And some Pentecostal churches are learning those ways. Well, you know, we got to have compassion on the homosexuals. When are we going to learn it's not compassion they want, it's acceptance. We got to give them something different. Then there are the other, the other side of the spectrum, those that have the bunker down mentality. You know, it's us four no more. We're just going to hold on till Jesus comes. After all, nobody wants it anyway. It's like I was at one place and man, this really happened. He, Turn around and ask the pastor, how long has it been since you baptized somebody? And he said, well, it's been a while. He said, see, that's what I mean. You might as well pour dirt in it Jesus. and plant flowers. My God. Nobody wants this anymore. And we're so, so concerned with keeping the church clean that it's sterile. So busy polishing the message and keeping the Sabbath. We don't have time for nobody else. And I've heard it until I'm sick of it. Bless God, if they want God bad enough, they know where they can find Him. Well, no, they don't. Can you give me five more minutes? Maybe, maybe ten. I'm serious. I'll, I'll quit. I'm almost out of water anyway. Let me use the cross as an analogy very quickly here. And I'm going to ask you, you know, we got some very sharp and witty people here tonight. I don't want you to misapply what I'm saying or put a double meaning in what I'm saying. I want us to look at the cross and the symbolism that it has. Look at the cross member as being representative of our human relationships, our horizontal relationships with the people around us. 
Amen. And you've got to have that. There's some people, that's all they have. They're social, they're fun-loving, they do this, they do that. But then there is the vertical of the cross. And that represents our relationship with God. I'm going to tell you here tonight where our vertical relationship of our relationship with God intersects our horizontal relationships with people around us. That point right there is the will of God. When you find that point, you are in the perfect center of the will of God. Let's all stand this evening because I'm going to try to land this. I have somebody up to the music. Please, again, just play a little bit. Let's lift our hands and talk to the Lord for just a moment. you tonight what are we telling this world tonight by our actions by our priorities a world that's destitute and those that are truly hungry are we just saying to them be thou warmed and filled And actually do nothing. As the Bible said, not giving them the things that are needful. Can I ask a question tonight? Are we willing to go out of our comfort zone? To sacrifice? To forget about ourselves for a while? And the little blessing that I'm going to get when I come to church. I want to feel doodads on my goose pimples. Heebie-jeebies running up and down my spine. I'm not making fun of that. But is that all there is to it? Are we willing to sacrifice? To give till it hurts? I'll tell you a quick story. I'm going to have to pre-qualify it by saying that I, I, mean, I mean no disrespect to anybody here when I say this. You know, we evangelized for 11 years, my wife and I, traveling all over the country. And so we drove trucks and then we had kids, so we had vans. And my wife finally said one day, she said, you know, I'm, I'm tired of trucks and vans. I'm, why don't we buy a car for a change? It sounds like a good idea. Let's do that. So we went and looked, and we found the perfect one. It was beautiful. It was everything we wanted. 
I'm not, I don't mean anything by this. I'm just going to tell you what happened to me. And we negotiated. And we got it to the price we wanted. And it was a previous year model, so they were wanting to get rid of it. Had all the whistles and bells we wanted. It was nice. Told my wife one day, I said, I'm going today to buy that car. I went there. It was late in the afternoon. I went in there, sat down, we, we, and uh, they got the contract ready. And I was getting ready to sign it. And again, this is just what happened to me. But, you know, I, I'd been working with with missions and missionaries for years and I'd get their missionary newsletters and and I would see the pictures of them baptizing people in their ramshackle little huts that they'd have church in and and older men walking long ways on foot to carry the gospel and and the hardships on them and, and, and for some crazy reason all of those images began to pass through my mind I'm not saying anybody else should do this just what happened to me started passing through my mind and I began to weep and I felt like something smote me and the salesman is there and there is actually another couple who has come in they wanted to trade a, another car on the one that I was going to buy and they said no we can't do anything till he makes up his mind whether he's going to buy it he has dibs on it so they're standing there waiting it's time to close the the salesmen are jingling their keys they're in a hurry to go home and my salesman is saying you know you, you really need to hurry reverend and let us know one way or the other this other couple's going to buy the car we're going to sell this car today i finally said just just leave the office and give me five minutes that's all so he left the office, and I bowed my head and prayed. Yes. And I said, God, I'm not going to buy this car today. And just as my personal pledge to you, I'm going to take this car payment that I was going to make on this car, and for one year, I'm going to send this car payment to the missionary. Now, Again, I'm not saying anybody else should do that. That was just my own personal commitment. I'm not trying to put any pastors here in a bad light. Many of these men have turned their pockets inside out for the work of the Lord. They deserve everything they've got. God's blessed them. They deserve it. But you know what? The thought came to me. You've got to put your action where your mouth is sometimes. You've got to put yourself on the line sometime. I came home without it. My wife said, what happened? I, I told her the story. I said, I'm sorry, honey. I just couldn't. We, that's been three years ago. We still didn't buy the car. But that's no big deal. That's so what? What I'm saying is, do we really believe this or are we just pretending? Just going through the motions? Do we just talk big? Or do we follow through? Your sacrifice, your commitment might be completely different than that. But at what point do we finally put ourselves out? You see, I'm standing here tonight as a product of that. 
somebody went out of their comfort zone. I was lost and didn't even know it. I was a five-year-old child, son of a Trinitarian preacher in South America. Who would have ever found us there? But God sent somebody to us with a vision, was willing to get out of his comfort zone, put himself out. And I stand before you here today. How can I be ungrateful? When are we going to quit going through the motions and start backing up what we say? Why not let this be the year when some of us are going to quit being pretenders? Oh, Brother Bass is playing. I know it's late. But I wonder if at the close of this conference, we've heard such powerful preaching. It's touched us in every way. Are we just going to say, Woo, man, that was a good meeting. And go back to our rut. Or are we going to really be changed and go beyond revelation? And start putting works with our faith. Well, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I know there's not much room around this altar. But I wonder if there's anybody here tonight that just feels like you need to step forward and make a commitment to God here tonight. Would there be somebody? Somebody? Anybody? You better think about what you're doing. You better think about what you're doing. Because if you come down here, God's going to hold you to this pledge. Don't come down here because everybody's looking at you to see if you'll come or not. Come down here and say, God, I'm tired of just shouting about it. Use me. Amen. Sing, Brother Bannis. Praise God. Praise God.